My name is Carl Osborne, Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of Juicer Pricing and the author of the book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. I'm Steve Crowley, Principal and Co-Founder of Service Physics. I'm Brian Reese, Principal and Co-Founder at Service Physics. I'm Emily Carillon, I'm VP of Marketing at Esper. Hi, it's Adir host of There's a Device for That. I'm on the road this week in India visiting our fabulous offices in Bangalore. Luckily, Emily Karyon, our VP of Marketing at Esper, was able to sit down with this week's distinguished guests. In this episode, you will hear from Carl Osborne, author of the book Delivering the Digital Restaurant, and Brian Reese and Steve Crowley, who are principals at Service Physics, which is a consulting firm on a mission to solve the restaurant industry's biggest problems. I'm really excited for you all to hear this discussion. It's all about the digital restaurant industry and how devices and data help restaurants achieve operational excellence. Lots of exciting discussion here. Enjoy, and here's the discussion. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're gonna to be talking about devices and technology that make frontline employees' lives better in restaurants. And we're in for a real treat today because we have a trio of guests who are absolute experts in this space. So to get started, Carl, I was hoping you could just tell us kind of a quick, you know, who are you? Why are you so passionate about this space? Yeah, lovely to meet you, Emily. Thanks for having us on. You're right, I am very passionate about this space because uh, I've obviously written a book about this, Delivering the Digital Restaurant was written to help restaurants look upon digitization with a bit more positivity, a bit more hope. Uh, the idea of the book came to us before the pandemic. And obviously through the pandemic, every restaurant across the country has had to embrace digitization in one way, shape or form. Uh, my own background is in C stores where I ran a thousand unit network, uh, was the VP of operations at Kitchen United, the ghost kitchen company. And it was really there where I saw how device technology could be utilized to help us manage a workforce that was not hugely hierarchical and very much spread out across a number of different locations. And as an operator, I used various different techniques to be able to help us look at the ways in which we could run our operation as efficiently as possible. But, you know, digitization, off-premise optimization, anything associated with that is what I wrote the book for. And now I spend a lot of time talking about that in many of the big restaurant conferences uh, it's great to be here and I uh, look forward to the conversation with the guys here. I love it. And you're great friends with Brian and Steve. So, um, Brian, can you share a little bit about how you know Carl and how, what are you guys working on also in this space? Absolutely. Thanks. Carl and I met, uh, man, it must have been two years ago now, I think, while you were researching the the book. And I think we just kind of hit it off right from the beginning talking about the future of the industry, the problems that the industry is facing, and you know what we're building at Service Physics is really bringing some very old and uh, well-tested methodologies and techniques to an industry that just has not had a chance to uh, really adopt them. Uh, and so we see that opportunity for the industry here, the transformation that's possible with better ways of doing work, the implementation of technology, and really just thinking through new and better ways to manage the business through data and digital channels. Uh, so we hit it off. Uh, I think we're featured in a couple places in the book and just really, uh, really loved the conversations. We had several hours worth of conversation and uh, yeah, ever since then the relationship has just grown. 
I love it. And Steve, tell us about you. Sure. So where to begin? Uh, I've been in the restaurant industry for about uh, 30 years. Uh, so when I started working in restaurants, the new technology was beepers so that you could get a hold of your, your district manager. And so over the last 30 years, I've seen a lot of new technologies come into play. Uh, I spent a couple of decades working at Starbucks Coffee Company, which is where I met Brian. Uh, and in those last five years, really focused on operations strategy related to how people do work. We built a standardized service delivery system that incorporated existing technologies, but building that system allowed us to look into the future and say, what other technologies are coming and how can we integrate those into the, the operating system? After that, I went on to build a portfolio of restaurants uh, for Anheuser-Busch InBev. Uh, it was sort of hyperscaling. We built about 550 restaurants in 12 countries in five years. A lot of that would not have been possible uh, without the introduction uh, of technology. Uh, and uh, I was able to work with Brian again uh, in that role where he led retail technology. I led operations. And so we were kind of the, the analog and the digital coming together. And it was doing that work that we, we realized there's something really powerful here for the industry that shouldn't be reserved just for companies the size of Starbucks Coffee Company and Anheuser-Busch InBev when most of the industry is you know small and medium-sized businesses and mom and pops and everybody has something to benefit from. I love it. Well, this is going to be all about innovation and the future of restaurants. And man, do we have the right people here today. So thank you guys for being here. And I just wanted to start with some quick questions. So what was your first techie device or game-changing innovation you've been a part of? And Brian, let's go with you first. Well, my first techie device, uh, I don't quite go back to, to beepers, but uh, for sure was into the, the early days of cell phone technology. I was, I can remember I was like molding these like personal devices out of play with a friend being like, there's, there's something here in this like, you know, cell phone world that it's just not doing yet. And I've been a big fan of that, but you know, all the way back to when I was a kid with my first Game Boy, just really been a fan of devices in general. And as far as industry innovations and, and things like that, that I've been part of, I'm really proud of the two years I spent at Starbucks building out the mobile order and pay program, which is really not the first, but for sure the, the most uh, well-known integration of digital into the customer experience for a, for a large restaurant chain. And really thinking through how does that device that's in your hand translate into a cup of coffee in the other hand? And how do you make sure that that's a consistent experience across day parts, channels, geographies, store formats, and all the different variation that comes in the industry? So just love what digital has become and what kind of you know customer experiences can be created when you leverage digital, but also the things that people are good at in terms of service. Brian, as a side note, um, I was at Uptentive at the time, and we did all of your mobile surveys through mobile order and pay, and we're like your biggest fans as you rolled this out across the globe. So it's a very small world, but talk about reinventing how the industry lets people pay and just the customer experience and making it delightful. So anyway, sidebar there, but um, Carl, what about you? What was your favorite techie device and game-changing innovation? I mean, you've got to be careful with this kind of question. It could age you, right? I could say the Fisher-Price telephone. Remember the ones where you had to rotate it? <laughs> yeah. That was that was probably my first, getting used to telecommunications. Okay. Didn't work very well, if I remember rightly. I think for me, I, I always started in more of the retail space, and I remember the little Palm Pilots with the stylus. 
and using that to uh, figure out how many items I needed to take from the back of the house to the front of the house. You know, there wasn't any way of being able to understand exactly what was where. And so that was my device to be able to say, I need to go and get this amount of 36, 34 jeans from the back room to bring to the front. That, that was certainly something that didn't necessarily have an efficient use of technology, but I always tried to embrace it, right? I always tried to embrace new bits of technology that perhaps haven't found their sweet spot yet, but you could see where they were heading. And of course, today, it's a completely different story for the way in which these systems connect the front and back of house. I love it. And Steve, you already gave us a preview with the beeper, but what's game changing that you're seeing now? Uh, I'd like to just first point out that Brian pointed out that I'm older than him by saying he doesn't go all the way back to the beeper. <laughs> um, thanks. <laughs> Most human endeavors fail as a result of poor communication. Um, and there have been a lot of innovations brought forth, not only in how restaurant operators can communicate with each other within the operation, but almost more importantly, how the guest can communicate their order accurately in a way that the operators can fulfill those orders. Uh, order accuracy is a, a huge driver of guest satisfaction. Uh, and as people gravitate towards more convenient channels, uh, such as the drive through these technologies are allowing them to actually get what they want and for operators to be able to deliver that more seamlessly. One of the other things is even if we have an example, we talk about at Esper where one of our um, leaders is so passionate about, you know, digital screens and digital signage and the ability to take your order. Even if you don't speak the language, you can point at a picture or you can add different things and it just removes a barrier to your point to communication. Like there's a lot of ways tech tech's enabling that. So Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So I'm going to dive into some of the meaty questions now. And the first is, how has the digital revolution uniquely impacted restaurants? And Carl, we have to start with you because it seems like you must have had a crystal ball if you started this book before the pandemic and then saw everything accelerate. So tell us about that. Well, in, in many ways, the crystal ball didn't have to be that well polished, Emily, because this has happened before. It's happened in all these other verticals, right? In many ways, it's more of a question as to why is it that restaurants have taken so long to digitize themselves? And the way I often answer that is similar to the way in which we cover in the forward of delivering the digital restaurant through the eyes of a, a guy who's been in the industry. He's got three or four different restaurants. And he says, look, I run restaurants because I love food. I love hospitality. I love people. I love giving them service. I don't get into restaurants because I like gadgets and tech and things like that. Quite honestly, I'd rather not spend any time around that. And so in a way, the book was written to be able to help restaurateurs see, look, we get that, we understand that, but it's the, it is the consumer that is driving this change, right? The consumer has started to expect this level of convenience through other verticals. It doesn't take any of us much time now to go onto an Amazon and three clicks later, we've got what we have coming to us within a day. You know, that is just such a game-changing experience. And now for restaurateurs, you know, a lot of them, in fact, still the majority of off-premise orders still come through people picking up the phone and having a conversation with someone. But I think there's this, this theme, and we call it in the book, uh, I want what I want when I want it. And I think that mentality of convenience is very much what the, the customer wants uh, from their food and their food experiences. And part of that is because today's consumer is, is far more time, is time poor, quite, quite honestly. They don't have as much time as perhaps they had before. Obviously, a, a lot of the family unit has changed, you know, 
father, mother going out to work full time. You know, there are all those challenges associated to the way in which people are living their lives differently and convenience becomes increasingly important. Similarly, you know, you, you look across the way in which the youngsters are coming through, the, the amount of student debt, the fact that now people are putting off milestones of buying a home or getting married are being pushed to later in life. And so what's happening is, and we, with the term we use in the book is called renting rich. People are now tending to lend themselves towards more experiences, whether it be travel or going to try out the latest Michelin star restaurant. I think that really reflects that the consumer today has become far more knowledgeable about food. And therefore, they are becoming more expectant around the food experience that they have. And so that could be in terms of the diversity of the nation and the way in which people are therefore seeing that come through in the food. It comes could come through in people, people's knowledge of how they use technology to find about the ingredients that are going into food, the, the diets that people are having now, whether it be medically induced or whether it be associated to political beliefs um, that they want to support the environment so they don't eat meat, for example. And I think people therefore are using food as a means to identify themselves, which is why you see the rise of food influences through Instagram and TikTok and how they are hugely, huge influences today to help people understand different ways to eat. And so technology and digitization has interweaved this because the consumer has changed. And if we understand that consumers want food their way, easy, fast, accessible, wherever they are, then technology is the means to be able to make that happen. And I think that is what we're seeing come through. And that is why delivery now um, or off-premise in general is about 30% of the average sales mix for a restaurant. I've got almost like an opposite perspective, which is that I think restaurants are helping tech companies get better. You think about what it took to build digital products in the 2000s. It was really about great user interfaces, about usability and how, uh, you know, you can navigate through a website and get to a shopping purchase as quickly as possible. And all of that uh, thinking and data-driven decision-making is great. It was really honed in that e-commerce, you know, beginning. But as technology has tried to integrate into restaurants, they typically forget that there's a person on the other end receiving that order. And that person needs to be able to fulfill that order accurately, like Steve said, in a certain amount of time, and with you know a quality that you'd expect if you were in the restaurant. And so by tech companies like starting to, to cross this border, this frontier into how do I deliver physical goods and, and a physical experience instead of just a great digital experience, I think it's really forcing companies to up their game in terms of understanding what has to happen on the back end so that people can actually fulfill and deliver on the promise. So, you know, Uber's having this challenge. So I think there are a lot of really good things happening as a result of the restaurant industry now becoming part of the technology industry. Mm, got it. Okay. Steve, this next question is for you. What operational challenges are restaurants currently dealing with that you're seeing? I think the one that we sort of hear most often is related to uh, the influx of orders that come through online channels during peak periods. And so there's a term that gets used called throttling. A lot of these technologies allow you to set a cap on how many orders can come in over a certain time period as not to overwhelm the kitchen. Before this channel was opened, there were sort of natural throttles for restaurants, such as how many tables and chairs existed or how quickly orders could be taken and fulfilled through the drive-through, and it would essentially result in a queue outside the restaurant. And so now that queue is digital, but the operator doesn't have much visibility to it, it being there. Uh, so really looking at 
integrating the digital channel as you would these other channels, thinking about what unlocks there are for capacity in the analog environment to allow these digital orders to come in uh, is super, super important because otherwise what you're doing is you're investing a lot of money and experience and marketing to drive demand while at the same time you can't meet the demand. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now. And I know Carl's been a part of a team working on this related to like variable and dynamic pricing uh, as a way to to move some uh, of that demand around. But demand is just going to continue to move towards these more convenient channels. So it's incumbent upon operators to really look at the way the work is getting done, the way these orders are coming in and getting fulfilled um, so that it can, we can provide the best experience for the customers, not be super burdensome on the, the employees and team members, and that you know the owners of the businesses really get the, uh, the best return on their investment. You know, th- this is one of those areas where you really see that divide between restaurants and the technology companies because we put a, we put an article out um, in Nations Restaurant News about throttling and Steve and Brian, I think, both commented on it. And the interesting reaction was that, no, 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 the technology exists. Thro- we can do throttling. You know, there was the idea of, no, this is okay. We, we've got something to manage the problem. And it's like, no, hold on a second. You don't understand it. It's what you're doing, throttling for all intents and purposes is shutting your doors to your virtual customers. And if you put, turn that into a physical sense, imagine walking into a restaurant and saying to your customer, nope, we're not open. You know, the door isn't even shut. You're not even having a conversation. You're not saying, you know, it'll be 10 minutes, have a look at the menu or go and sit at the bar and we'll, we'll have someone serve you. That isn't happening in a virtual sense. And so therefore that one opportunity to capture a customer is lost because they're going to go somewhere else, especially if they're discovering you through a third party platform. So, in a way, this issue associated to understanding why throttling is happening is being quenched or quelled way too early in the process. And, 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 a, and a, the reality is, is that you need folks like Steve and Brian to be able to help you see what can we do to truly understand what our capacity throughput is, because that is something that really is critical to then saying, okay, what are the changes we need to make in the kitchen, whether it be the processes that the team are doing, the the way in which the equipment is laid out, the way in which the data that we see about those processes is informing us. And from there, you'll be able to say, well, no longer do we even need to throttle because we've now got a better handle on exactly what our throughput is. And we've got a better understanding of how to forecast when we're going to be busy. And we know exactly what we need to do when we run, run into those spurts. So that throttling is only used in the most you know crazy of situations where you've got two of your three line cooks out. But I'll let Brian and Steve talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to get to the root of the problem versus the symptom, and don't forget about the customer experience of that, mo- that first moment, which is one of the most precious moments. I mean, coming from the marketing side, right? You work so hard to drive them there. The last thing you want to do is just give them a bad experience. I think I'd also like to dispel a common myth that many operators have, which is the constraint is the equipment in the kitchen. We've studied the equipment utilization in hundreds of restaurants and have yet to find a true equipment constraint. Uh, Oftentimes this equipment is utilized less than 50% of the time, or when it is highly utilized, we're creating batches of food that don't need to be served for some period of time after. So it's a matter of just sequencing. So if it's not the equipment, what is it? It's things that are are variables you can control, how people are doing the work, how many of them there are, how information is flowing between them. I aspire to find a restaurant that has a true equipment challenge um, because then that becomes the next problem to solve. 
This reminds me of, it's very similar to what happened with the introduction of a drive-through. So at some point, you know, a restaurant just knocked a hole in the side of a, of a wall and allowed customers to drive up and order. And when they figured out that, wow, there's actually a lot of cars in the line there, there's, there's a lot more people that want this experience. Like maybe we could like figure out an order point before the window to give us time to actually make the food. And so there's this optimization that's happened around the drive-through as a channel. But a lot of that happens because you're able to see that uh, that demand and you, any owner says like, yeah, let me serve more of those people. Let's have more people have this experience. <clears throat> the challenge with throttling is you can't see that demand. It's literally, literally hidden or invisible. And so uh, a lot of what we, you know, work with folks on is how can we help you understand the opportunity size based on creating capacity within your organization? And then we say, yeah, let's, let's turn up that throttle a little bit and see what happens. And, you know, all of a sudden the ticket printer starts doing this and the owners are like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of orders behind that thing. And so now it's a matter of how do we organize the, the work for the people, you know, so that it's not just, hey, we slapped a tablet in the kitchen, go make these orders, but we can actually create a system and a process for this new channel of business. And the same way that drive through has been optimized over the last 20, 30 years, uh, that's exactly what's happening with digital orders right now. Yeah, it makes me think also, I mean, and then the evolution of the drive through is then line busting is to add tablets even earlier. So you can get insight even earlier. We have multiple customers that introduced that during the pandemic with to a lot of success. So it's really fun seeing kind of the evolution of all of this. The problem solving never ends. Once you see the problem and you understand it, you just keep, keep working on it and keep opening up more and more demand and grow the business. It's no surprise that you're seeing in most of the restaurant formats that have been unveiled this year, double, triple drive-through lanes, right? That's, that is in response to that particular challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So next I want to dive into devices. So what specifically are you seeing from a technology perspective? We identified some of the problems. We identified some of the gaps. What devices are working to help solve and create an even better customer experience? I'll, I'll, I'll speak from a high level and then I'll, I'll let these guys dial it in. But you know, I mentioned before that information flow is a huge challenge. You just mentioned the order busting tablets. Really, How do we get that information sooner? So I, I guess I'll, I'll highlight a challenge and, and uh, an opportunity. Oftentimes, we gravitate towards organizing that information onto screens. And so in the restaurant industry, we call them KDSs, kitchen display screens. And seemingly that's good because, you know, you've got the information right in front of you. But what we often find is they're placed pretty high up and it keeps taking the operator's eye off the work as they repeatedly look to see what they're doing. The opportunity is thinking about how we can put that information closer to the operator's fingertips so that they know what to do. You know, before screens, there were like chits that printed and actually the chits did a pretty good job. They're just kind of hard to keep track of and a little bit cumbersome. But what is the, the opportunity is to solve the problem to get something with the functionality of a chit that moves with the work uh, and is uh, sort of, you know, at the fingertips where the, where the people needed the information, um, but in a, a sort of digital less uh, frictionful format. Building on what I said earlier, I think there's still a ton of opportunity in this space for the industry. I think a lot of the solutions that have been developed so far are kind of like their iterations or increments. So they're, you know, taking one thing that worked somewhere else and, and trying to apply it to this challenge. Whereas I think what, what this challenge really requires is something new and different in terms of what Steve was describing about how information travels within the operation. And this is, you know, again, where I think the industry is going to really help, uh, the restaurant industry is going to really help the technology industry evolve 
we tested, so back at Starbucks, when we were building the mobile order and pay channel into the store, we spent six weeks testing the best way to inject that order information into the engine, the operational engine, so that we could make those orders and not have it interrupt uh, the in-store guest flow. And during that time, you know, everybody's like, it's easy. You just put a tablet in the store. And I was like, yeah, but where and how and what information? And we tested that seven ways to Sunday. And at the end of the day, found that, just like Steve said, actually the best available technology for this is a piece of paper. It's a chip that prints uh, and then some labels that print and it all comes together. And guess what? It's pretty seamless and invisible to the in-store customer because it's not this gigantic tablet that, you know, somebody's at a make station looking up and down and has their backs to the, to the cafe. So I, I don't think we're there yet, frankly, in terms of whether it's devices or software. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the industry in this space. Uh, but as a result of that, uh, when people say like, oh, what technology you know, should we apply here? I'm like, man, a piece of paper and pencil is a pretty good piece of technology that's worked for a long time now. So I, have, I think we, we have a lot of work to do, but we're really excited about where it's going because, again, the opportunity is huge for customer experiences and, and operators to develop more innovative models and experiences. I'm really surprised neither of you said the stopwatch uh, because when, we, when we've worked together, I've, these guys have a, have a love affair with the stopwatch, uh, Emily. They, uh, they, they stand and watch uh, the, the way in which people do various different repetitive processes and they time. And I think where you see that very variance of how long a particular process is, it then triggers something to say, well, why is that happening? And, you know, I, to, to Brian's point about the, the manual aspect of this, I think the point is, is a lot of the evidence is in front of you. You just need to know how to look and how to be observe, observe for it. Right, guys? I mean, you, you'll better be to explain this, but I do think that there, there is a lot that can be said for understanding where there are diversions from a repeatable process and where you see that deviation and being able to find out the cause behind it. An operator really is, is subconsciously asking two questions all the time. The first one is, is this normal or abnormal, which technology can be really useful in doing. And the other is, am I a header behind? So I know which levers to, to get back on track. So like as an example, it's not a very sophisticated technology, although it is very expensive is drive-through timers. So the ability to know like, what is my average window time right now? What is my average speed of service? You know, what's the record cars through the drive-through in, in a half hour and how close am I to that? Uh, or that might light up red when there's a problem so that a uh, management can come over and, and help out. And the other thing I would add is that anything that reduces just manual administration, particularly in areas uh, of things that are uh, like inevitable but intolerable related to food safety, um, there's some really good things happening. So automated sensors to, to take the temperatures and record the temperatures of refrigeration. There's a huge burden lift from operators uh, and helps keep customers safe. And it's really cost effective because it costs a lot of money to have people walk around with a clipboard and take temperatures. Yeah. Look, I think for me, Emily, on this one, if we if we take it away from the, the space where we've been talking so far, is that how can we better utilize the technology that comes into the restaurant every single day? In the pockets of our employees right so the, the cell phone that they hold is actually a way in which you can communicate with your with your employees and also help them complete the, the course of their activities during the day things like labor right scheduling being able to swap swap shifts before when i was um you know an hourly worker in a retail store i would have been calling up the manager the manager would then have to call up everyone else now you can swap shifts through the the, the interface there you can understand what your schedule is but then when you come in you can obviously check in using your phone uh, alongside uh, an appropriate beacon inside the in, inside the store, and then you can have your tasks actually represented 
as to what you're supposed to be doing through the course of the day as well. There's also aspects associated to training. You know, how can you use digital, I guess, a version of the KDS, but digital learning systems to be able to speed the way in which someone gets up to speed with understanding how to prepare a certain dish. The time it takes to get someone on board these days is actually radically faster than you'd have found a few years ago, because now actually those people that are deploying digital learning, especially digital learning of dish creation, can have it done in such a way that's very clear and precise with pictures, with videos, with step-by-step instructions that actually alleviates the need for a human to constantly be over the, the, the shoulder of them. You made me think of one more thing, Carl, what I'm really excited about, and I haven't seen it done uh, effectively yet. But when you're training people in restaurants, particularly kitchens, the things that they need to learn to do, they need to learn by doing them hands-on. And virtual reality is getting very good. And so be able to put somebody in the context of the actual environment they're going to be working in and using their hands to get some of that muscle memory uh, it's going to be a good uh, good way to provide training cost effectively because you won't need a person there training them to do that. And then you can also do it without wasting the inventory. Um, so I'm super excited. There. And then building on what you say then, I would say utilizing geofence technology is also an area which I don't think enough restaurants are really doing right now. The companies out there that are helping restaurants understand when they should trigger the fire time for creating an item based on the proximity of either the driver or the pickup customer and their location to the store. Because obviously that helps with the freshness of the dish getting into the driver's hands as quickly as possible after it comes off the line. So that is another way in which technology is helping. Uh, you know, and I think it's, it's only in that way that we're going to be able to increase the speed, improve the quality, and ultimately with the practices of training, improve the accuracy that, uh, that the guys have been talking about as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the ones we've been seeing is one of our customers is OrderMark. And they basically replaced having all the different delivery service tablets for every single delivery tablet. They have restaurants with eight tablets from you know Postmates, Uber, Grubber, you name it. And then now it's down to one. So that just simplifies it for back to getting to those frontline workers, simplifying those experiences. So it's called it's called the it's called the tablet hell, Emily. When you have all these pinging sounds going off in the kitchen, it's a nightmare because you don't know where to start. And so, uh, Audemark, Jowly, Deliverect, all of these guys that are doing that type of thing are helping restaurants amazingly because otherwise, with the volume of off-premise, it would just be impossible to manage. Yeah, manage the orders and manage the people coming in to grab the food and take it out. Just that whole mess. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the focus of the conversation is really how do we help restaurants, you know, make a better experience, not only for their frontline workers, but also for their customers. So we've talked about ways, you know, technology can help and also some more old school ways can help. But if a restaurant is assessing whether to bring in technology and deciding if it's a right fit for them, how should they go about that process? Well, uh, funnily, you should mention this because we're writing another book. Um, and the other book is around the digital maturity path, Emily, and it should be coming out uh, hopefully in October time. Brian and Steve are going to be featured in it. So uh, I always get my friends from Service Physics in there. Uh, but the idea of the book is to answer this exact question, right? Because we, I've been in so many of these conference halls where I look at specifically the independent operator and they look across the, the, the technology hall and they go, where the heck do I start? You know, I, I know, I'm here, I've bought the ticket. I'm at the conference telling me about restaurant technology, but they, they don't really know what's the appropriate way to go forward. And I think 
part of this is understanding well where are the biggest problems and where are the biggest opportunities and and really trying to establish an understanding that you don't have to do it all overnight there can be a methodical process here and and typically at least in an off-premise context you know having the third parties and optimizing them having a clear idea as to how to market yourself digitally having your first party channel established uh, addressing the issues around capacity that we've already talked about today um though those kind of initial steps are critical to just getting the basics in place because in many ways that's the foundations of the house Right. Once you've got the foundations in place, then you can build upon it with the things that are actually going to enable you and your restaurant to take advantage of what's out there. And that could be ghost kitchens. It could be virtual brands. It could be the um, the technology we were just talking about with regards to geofencing. All of those things are things that are going to be able to help either drive top line revenue, save on costs, or be able to grow the restaurant's reach in, in some way, shape or form. Um, but I do think it's really critical for restaurants first to nail the basics. From my perspective, it goes back to what Carl was saying at the beginning around, you know, restaurateurs uh, don't get into the industry because of their love of technology, right? And so I've seen a lot of struggle, particularly for, you know, sort of entrepreneurs in this space. And it is a massive, wide, confusing, and potentially expensive endeavor. So it's daunting. Uh, And I think the best thing you can do, uh, if you can afford it, is to, you know, hire somebody who understands a little bit of kind of this landscape and, and what's going on in the industry. Uh, but if you can't afford that, I think it, you just got to get ready to test, test, test. And so how do you take a look at what's out there and, and make a decision? I think you just have to take a bit of a leap and just try something and see what works and see what doesn't and learn more about what you need for your operation. But I think what I've learned working with uh, small and independent restaurants is it's really make or break related to the guest experience. Uh, and so you want to really focus on creating a great experience for the guest. You can you can work through any operational and, and technology challenges on the back end. But if you don't have a great guest experience, it's really hard to recover from that. And so I think focusing on the guest experience and learning about where the guest is at, what they react well to, what is is and isn't working, helps you be really informed about you know where you need to go next. But for larger enterprise type organizations, we're a big fan of of custom front end software, again, for the the guest experience. Very difficult to find a white label app that will work for your specific concept. It's kind of the the lukewarm tea thing, you know, hot. Some people like hot tea, some people like iced tea, but nobody likes the room temperature tea. And all these white label solutions tend to be pretty, pretty lukewarm tea. So, you know, if you think about what it costs to build, you know, your own custom front end, it's about the same as the build out for a single location. And so if you think about this channel for your business and the investment that you're making more in the context of what am I building in terms of points of sale or locations, this is just another location, but it actually has the potential to you know equal 100 locations in terms of its impact on your business. And so if you have the budget for a custom solution built with you know sort of off the shelf backend components, that's a great way to go thing I would add in terms of advice on like where to start is to make sure we're asking the questions in the right sequence. So instead of starting with which technology should I bring to bear, starting with the question, what problem am I trying to solve? Because that will reveal the the technology that you should bring to bear. And restaurants, as complicated as they may seem, do boil down to this like hierarchy of needs, starting with, do I have the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right work? Then do they have the knowledge and skills they need to do that work? Then do they have the inventory they need in order to do the work that way and fulfill customer orders? And then how do I identify and solve problems? 
And if you build towards that hierarchy, detect gaps in any one of those areas, you've identified your problem, then we can say, okay, well, what are the root causes of this problem? Maybe it's an analog solution. Maybe it's a, it's a digital solution. Um, but at least if you hit the problem in the right place, it'll be solved sustainably. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'd just add one. And then how do I create demand and interest in people coming to buy? And then what's that process for them building that? But I love that framework for folks to think through those question sets. All right. So, Steve, you also mentioned a little bit about AI and VR training. And I want to just, as our final question, kind of go there. There's there's growing interest in using video and AI analysis to help restaurants uncover insights. So I'd love to hear kind of what are you seeing there? What innovation are you seeing there? What's working? Um, who's at the forefront there? There's a lot of good work being done in the speed of service and customer loyalty space using facial recognition software. It's even gotten so good as uh, to be able to tie into POS systems to link the transaction data to the specific customer. Um, and that can all be really helpful to both operations and marketing to work sort of cohesively to build the best strategy to meet customers where they're at, segment them, identify what the value is, and then building the customer journey and operation uh, to fulfill that. One of the companies I, I have liked seeing, uh, Emily, is uh, called Wobot, and, and they're using video analysis of a lot of the processes that are happening. And exactly as Steve just mentioned, helping with see- speed of service, helping with waste monitoring. You know, a, a lot of it really is about trying to understand where these repeatable processes are, are happening and being able to understand where the opportunities lie. Because just tracking every single item that is being done through the line is incredibly complex to be able to allow AI to really understand what needs the focus. And again, it comes back to this analog, the issue first, and then see how technology can help you, whether it be one of Brian and Steve's stopwatches or whether it be something like this company's video technology to then take that process. But for all intents and purposes, whether it's a video or whether it's a a set of human eyes, it's monitoring something and seeing how many times a particular deviation happens to be able to see where the opportunities lie. And as you know, Steve mentioned earlier, a lot of it at times could be the actual process itself. It might not be anything to do with the individual. It could be the way in which the process has been trained. Um, and other times you might find just because the dynamics, the layout of the actual kitchen is different to the way in which the training was created, that in its own right means that you need slightly different processes. So it, it really does depend. But I think the great thing about technology today, especially with platforms like Wobot, is that you can use this to help it come together in a, in a seamless fashion so that it can be looked at across the entirety of the network. And when you can look across the entirety of the network, you, you can then find commonalities of problems and commonalities of where there are things that are working particularly well. Awesome. Okay, for our final question here, and then we'll learn a little bit more about how to connect with our guests. But the, the final question is, what do leaders of digital restaurants need to be successful? Any answer goes, and Brian, I'd like to start with you. Leaders of digital restaurants, I think, could really create a game-changing competitive advantage if they think about the data that they're getting from their digital channels and how that can feed back into their business strategy. This is sort of a, a, a concept that has been honed and refined. You know, Companies like Amazon have been using RFM analysis to create customer segmentation since 1997, and restaurants are still trying to grapple with understanding who their customers are 
from a from an analytical or quantitative perspective. I think everybody has uh, sort of a marketing or boardroom level understanding. Maybe they've done a you know an a, an annual insights uh, sort of effort. But uh, the power that this real-time data can drive for a business is a hugely untapped resource. And uh, just it, it poses a huge opportunity for any uh, digital entrepreneur or, or restaurant leader to tap into uh, to create competitive advantage. I'd echo that and say it's just really important for every restaurant leader to know that they are a digital restaurant leader. There's no separation now or in the future. And so resistance is futile and use it to your advantage. A good little Trekkie reference from Steve there. Very good. Um, so I think it's about being agile. I think it's about being agile to recognize that we are still very much in the early innings here. There's a lot of new technology, a lot of new innovation yet to come. And if you can build the mindset of being able to see where opportunities lie, then you're going to be able to be in a much better position to see where the technologies, as they improve, and they will, uh, how they can best help you and your organization. And by the way, a digital restaurant leader isn't the CTO. Every single leader in an organization has a role to play here, whether it be the HR manager, through to folks like yourself in marketing, through to the actual uh, team in operations. Technology is helping every single function. And so how you think about the dedication of budget to support each of those is really, really critical as well. I love it. Well, it has been a real treat to have you three on. Brian, Steve, Carl, thank you so much for joining us. And I'd love for each of you to share kind of how, what's the best way for folks to connect with you or learn more about what you're doing. And Carl, can you kick us off? Absolutely. Well, of course, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I think uh, my my co-author and I put a podcast out ourselves, Emily, called The Monday Minute, which uh, was ranked 150th in the US a few months ago. I was very happy with that. So oh, people, some, some folks are listening to us, um, which was great. But uh, obviously, go to our website, learn uh, www.learn.delivery. Uh, you can use the coupon code ESPER20 and get 20% off a copy of uh, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. We'd love to hear from folks that get a chance to read the book. There's some of the wonderful wisdom of Brian and Steve in there as well. So feel free to, uh, to reach out and let us, let us know what you think. You can, uh, of course, go to servicephysics.com, drop us a line. Uh, my name is Brian Reese. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's a super easy way to get in touch. Uh, and something else uh, that apparently I need to publicize a little more, we've moved beyond stopwatches, Carl, and we've built a service physics app to help operators leverage that device they have in their pocket to go do exactly what we would do if we were working with them, but do it for themselves. Uh, so go to the app store, search service physics, you'll find it there uh, and let us know if you need help. Uh, we're always happy to talk uh, ops and tech. And I would just echo uh, the website, the app, uh, and also find me uh, on LinkedIn, Steve Crowley. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of us, so you may want to add service physics um, to get me to pop up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This, I think any restaurant leader, digital restaurant leader is going to learn a lot from the three of your insights. So really appreciate you joining. Um, thanks so much. There's a device for that is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V.
Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.